It's Tuesday, March 26th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Now that the cloud over Trump's presidency has been lifted, where do we go from here? After being cleared of collusion with Russia and mostly cleared of obstruction of justice, the president's advisors and lawyers are demanding apologies from his detractors and have a new target, House Intel Chairman Adam Schiff, and they're calling for his resignation. Daniel Lippman, reporter for Politico, joins us for the political fallout of the Mueller report. Next, let's check in on one of the president's top priorities, the border. New data from Department of Homeland Security shows that the number of immigrants arrested or turned away at the southern border has continued to climb to levels not seen for years, and detention centers are overcrowded to the point that ICE and Customs and Border Protection have begun releasing some migrant families almost immediately instead of holding them in detention. Steph Kite, reporter for Axios, joins us for what's happening at the border. Finally, all signs point to yes. The news is that it is almost certain that former Vice President Joe Biden will run for president in 2020, adding to the already crowded field of Democrats vying for the nomination. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us for the Biden bid and how other Democrats will run against Trump. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I think Democrats and the liberal media should be absolutely embarrassed by their behavior over the last two years in their breathless reporting and their hope. It's not just that they reported and spread a slanderous, malicious lie, but they hoped for the takedown of the president of the United States. Joining us now is Daniel Littman, co-author of the Politico Playbook. We wanted to bring you on to talk more about the Mueller report and all the political fallout we learned over the weekend that the president has largely been cleared of any wrongdoing with regards to his interactions or his campaign's interactions with Russia and the collusion angle. The special counsel, Robert Mueller, uh, found that there was no collusion there on obstruction of justice. It's a little bit more murky. He didn't want to come out and say that there was a crime, but he also did not want to exonerate him there. As I said, the president, it's a victory for him. He's going all over the place saying no collusion, no obstruction. So now what do we do with all the information that we have? I know Republicans are clamoring for some apologies and they have a new target now. It's House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff. They're calling for him to either resign completely or step down as head of of that committee there. What do we know? They've been harping on Schiff, but it doesn't look like he's going to resign anytime right. soon. <laughs> he's a popular figure in the Democratic Party, and Democrats think that he's done a good job as chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. That's a very high-pressure job. Devin Nunes used to be the chairman of that. He got a lot of criticism from Democrats when he had that job. And I don't expect many people in the media to apologize either. People who work in the media are generally proud individuals, they're not going to tout out to White House officials just because they want to have them repent for their sins. (laughs) Right. Where do we go with this from here on out? This big cloud that was over the presidency for the first two years of President Trump's term has now largely been lifted, even though there's still questions as to obstruction. Democrats are demanding the full report. He can now move forward without really this cloud still hanging over him. 
That's true, and that, that makes him very happy. It'll be a slightly more normal presidency, although nothing that Donald Trump does is ever fully normal. And so <laughs> I think we will move to more of a 2020 posture on both parties, kind of a campaign footing soon. And so the 2020 cycle is already kicked off and more attention will be focused on that. And the investigations will recede a little bit. That makes it easier for Democrats and Republicans to try to work together. But this has become this huge investigation that has never really stopped until just this weekend. And so President Trump wants to see what it's like to have a presidency that he can catch his breath and do the work of the country, although he does face a dozen other investigations that are a smaller scale and less high profile, but could still be harmful to him. What do Democrats do with this? How hard is it going to be to drag this on for two more years to the 2020 election cycle? I mean, even the candidates now, for the most part, you can't really use a lot of this stuff just because the president has been largely cleared. So for them, it's actually a good opportunity. You can move on to more of the issues, really show a differentiation between themselves and the president there. You don't have to use the whole Russia collusion thing as a backdrop of it. What are Democrats going to be doing? Democrats are going to be talking about Trump's character while in office, his actions as president, and not focus as much on the Mueller investigation because they find that it's not something that many voters care about. Unfortunately, in, in their view, they wish that voters cared more, but voters care about their own lives, their pocketbooks. And Democrats are going to talk a lot about jobs and the economy and health care and taxes. You know, taxes went up a little off suburbs because of the Trump tax bill. And they're going to talk about whether Trump deserves a second term. Joe Biden, who is expected now, the next couple weeks, he's going to argue that that Trump has disgraced the office of president and that he is a better choice and that he might kind of come out with his own running rate before so they can have a kind of an even match with Trump and Pence and Biden and whoever he picks. Senator Lindsey Graham, one of the president's top allies and chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, said that he's going to open an investigation into what's going on behind the scenes at the Justice Department leading up to the 2016 election. Even the president in his remarks over the weekend was saying, you know, I hope everybody looks into the other side and things like that. What is that going to look like? Is that investigation going to get any play? I don't think this that investigation is going to go anywhere because Lindsey Graham can do what he wants and he's a friend of the president. He actually golfed with him this weekend. But this is going after old news stuff that is not likely to yield that much. It could be a like another Benghazi probe where nothing much is actually found. And the last thing, it's just the ongoing fight to release the entire Mueller probe. Are Democrats going to get their wish on that front? This is going to be a big court battle. It is something that Democrats will have to decide how long they want to spend on this and whether they want to make this as a high priority as they had talked about previously. But this is going to be something that Democrats say, well, we need the underlying evidence. We need to know how Mueller came to his conclusions or didn't. And then we can move forward on the life of the country. But the American people have spent tens of billions of dollars on this probe. And the least that Americans deserve to get is a copy of what Mueller found. And we only know the bare minimum details right, right. now, minimal details. And that is just not enough for many Democrats. Yeah, the fight is going to be ongoing, but in the meantime, it is a victory for the president. The cloud of the Russia probe has been lifted. Daniel Lippman, co-author of the Politico Playbook, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Trump administration has instituted a new policy that would require that some asylum seekers remain in Mexico until their immigration proceedings are finished, until their cases are decided on. Joining us now is Steph Kite, 
reporter at Axios. We're getting some new numbers from the Department of Homeland Security about the growing surge of migrants that are coming into the border. You guys got some exclusive information about that. Tell us how bad it's getting at the border right now. Axios got a look at some numbers ahead of time before they were published by DHS, and it really shows that this surge in migrants coming across the southern border, in particular families, has really continued, and it's really growing to levels that we haven't seen in years. And it's looking like, at this rate, and this this includes some speculation, but at this rate, it looks like we could have as many as a million apprehensions and inadmissibles at the southern border this year, which is a level we really haven't seen for more than a decade, really. The detention centers, the Customs and Border Protection, they are being overwhelmed with the number of people coming in. When you really look at what's going on right now, there is a crisis in a sense. Even immigration attorneys who I talk to who are very pro-immigration talked about how there really needs to be something done. There are just so many migrants and the fact that they're dealing with families, they're dealing with children and there's nowhere to put them. It has created um, an overload on the Border Patrol men and women who work at the border. There are issues here, particularly because we're dealing with so many families and children. The president has vowed to end what he calls catch and release. That actually is something that's going on right now in even more numbers because we're talking about how these detention centers are overcrowded and there's no space for them that they're actually, some of these family units are actually just being released almost immediately. Exactly. It's something that is surprising to hear out of the This administration, of course, as you said, Trump has said over and over again that he wants to end catch and release. But we are really seeing, as you said, these uh, detention centers are so overcrowded that we're seeing not only ICE officials who receive immigrants once they're caught by CBP, but even Border Patrol agents just releasing families because there's nowhere to put them right now because there's so much overcrowding. And immigration attorneys I spoke to said that also creates an additional incentive, right? If There are more immigrants who are hearing, oh, if we cross the border, there's nowhere for us to go. So they're going to release us. That creates an additional incentive for immigrants to come across the border. And of course, many of these are families who are fleeing violence and persecution and hardship in their home country. So we never want to lose sight of that fact. But it also created this very complicated logistical issue. And there's no way to really vet who is being let in. Last week in McAllen, Texas, I think in a 24 hour period, they apprehended more than a thousand migrants. What do we know about the administration's order to hold migrants in Mexico as they await for their process to go through? How come some of these family units are not being subject to that? How, how is that working? Trump administration has instituted a new policy that would require that some asylum seekers remain in Mexico until their immigration proceedings are finished, until their cases are decided on. So they've been rolling that out slowly, and there are plans to kind of expand that to address most families. There's also been talk of having a program that would allow people to apply for a refugee status in the U.S., but they would have to apply in their home countries instead of coming to the U.S. As of right now, the way the asylum system works in the U.S., you must actually be on U.S. soil in order to even apply. And so the Trump administration is trying to find ways to work around that to keep people in Mexico or keep people in Central American countries until they can approve their request for asylum or refugee status in the U.S. 
You mentioned that we could reach as many as 1 million apprehensions this year. Just we're getting to these high, high numbers again. But we have to also understand how the things have changed. In the past, it was a lot of single Mexican adults who uh, were making a lot of attempts to cross the border. Right now, we're getting these Central American family units, parents and children. And the laws are different. They had laws that you could easily expedite the process to deport these single Mexican men. But it doesn't really apply to these family units. So uh, the laws are different. And that's that's another thing that's taxing the system. Even though we're seeing a similar number to what we've seen in the past, the situation has completely changed. There were policies and agreements with Mexico that enabled Border Patrol officers to almost immediately deport a single Mexican adult who was caught crossing the border illegally. Oftentimes, those numbers that we see, that one million number, would be multiple people or would be the same person counted multiple times. So that also may have made the numbers seem higher, whereas in these cases, cases, we're really not seeing as many repeat offenders, according to the people who I've spoken to who um, are in close connection with CBP. These are single attempts. These are families and children crossing for the first time. So there's some speculation that we could be even seeing numbers that are higher than what we've seen in the past. And as you mentioned, there are special policies that have to be followed, especially when you're dealing with children that make the process of caring for them and getting through the immigration application process even more complex. Steph Kite, reporter at Axios, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. I'm told I get criticized by the new left. I have the most progressive record of anybody running for the United Anybody who would run. I didn't mean Joining us now is Ginger Gibson political reporter for Reuters. It was just last week we were talking about Joe Biden and his uh, verbal slip up. And we we're just talking about how he's the last piece of the puzzle to get into the race for 2020 for Democrats. Increasingly, it seems like he is going to do it. We're just waiting. We don't know why he's not doing it yet, but he's been building these uh, the kind of the building blocks for this presidential campaign ahead of his expected announcement. We're getting more word now about how he's taking some unique steps to reassure voters about his age. One of them might be announcing a possible vice presidential candidate with him very early on in the process. So what do we know about the possible Joe Biden run? Yes, that's right. We appear to be very close to an announcement. Sources close to the former vice president told me last week that he's running, uh, that he's putting the pieces together, that he's starting to talk to staff, to supporters, to donors. We do have a guess as to why he hasn't already done it. And that's the calendar. If he declares before April 1st, he would have to disclose how much money he raised in the first days of his campaign. If he waits until April 1st or later, we're hearing probably the middle of the month, then he doesn't have to disclose how much money he raised until July. And so given that fundraising is going to be seen as a measure of support, that's why we think he's waiting. And and I think what we're seeing in this interim period, while between what appears to be him having made up his mind that he's going to run and actually doing so, is a little bit of a testing of some potential messages. I've talked to former staff who tell me, before that they were trying to figure out an answer to criticisms about his age, an answer to criticisms about positions he held when he worked for Barack Obama. And I think that's a little bit of what we're seeing here with this, like, maybe he could pick a vice presidential running mate, a young person straight out the gate. Maybe he could promise to only serve one term. They're sort of floating trial
trial balloon, seeing how people respond to that, seeing how his supporters respond to that. On the vice presidential front, though, people have been floating the name Stacey Abrams. I guess advisors close to Joe Biden have been floating that name. She's 45, 31 years younger than him. So that would kind of help out with that front, at least. But he would be second to Bernie Sanders. He's the oldest person running if he, if he gets into the race. At 76, he is a year younger than Bernie Sanders. He's two years older than Donald Trump. So at the higher end of the age scale, it might end up not being a factor. It might end up being something that we sort of, the pundits in Washington talk about, but the voters aren't that concerned about. I will tell you, I've talked to voters who have expressed that though as a concern. And to my surprise, it tends to be the over 65 voters who say, I'm kind of tired and don't want to run the free world. And I'm not sure that I want someone my age running the free world or that they just like the enthusiasm that sort of a younger person brings. But it'll be one of those things that plays out to see how voters land, especially when we put all the candidates on stage together and you've got Bernie Sanders, who's a hair older than him and a Kamala Harris or a Beto O'Rourke who are a good deal younger than him on the stage. Just because I like to play the numbers game sometimes, Joe Biden was first elected to the Senate in 1972, a few weeks after Beto O'Rourke was born. So <laughs> that's just to put it in perspective. People have said that, as I said before, Stacey Abrams might be that pick. But the other criticism is, well, you're going to go through the whole primary process and Stacey Abrams is a rising star. But why wouldn't you pick one of the other presidential contenders who was also a rising star and might make for a more uh, a, a stronger ticket? That's right. We're going to hear, I think, and maybe the reason he doesn't go through with this, voters will say, you know, I like Joe Biden and I hope he picks my other favorite choice for president as his running mate. That sort of open question can keep voters on your side. I also think that, we know, we saw Ted Cruz do this at the very end of the primary last cycle, picking Carly Fiorina as a hypothetical running mate. It can also come off as a bit of a gimmick and voters know gimmicks and, and will sometimes punish candidates for doing so. Joe Biden has the credentials. He's been in there. He's uh, big in the foreign policy arena. His long, lengthy record in the Senate does leave him open to criticism for certain votes he's taken. But I think for, and especially for millennial voters, obviously they might be looking for something younger, more diverse, but I, I would think he might have some of the cred still left over from serving with President Obama. It's an interesting candidate choice if he does get in. All of that's going to have to be sorted out. He is leading in basically every opinion poll that gets run of the Democratic Party. But a lot can change between now and Iowa. It will be hard for him and he will have to work very hard for it despite coming in, starting off on top. And how does everyone else run their campaigns? How are they going to make their best case that they should be the leader of the United States over President Donald Trump? Democrats are vowing to not attack each other. And so without the ability to attack each other, they're trying to figure out how to attack Donald Trump, or at least some of them had a story last week where we really dug into what some of these messages are was in South Carolina with Kamala, who was trying to put herself as a prosecutor. Her campaign describes her methods as prosecutorial. She was a criminal prosecutor saying she could figuratively prosecute President Trump on the debate stage. And on the other end of the spectrum is someone like a Cory Booker, who says he won't even attack Donald Trump. No, he kind of does, but at least is <laughs> insisting that he doesn't. And, and that it's all about love and, and coming together. Polls are saying that a lot of times they might put even polls are saying that voters will be putting, you know, a more viable candidate over specific policy agreements or disagreements. You know, they want somebody to defeat President Trump and anybody that can do it, it might be the person that they're going to vote for. 
Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.